you have your Bible, I want you to join with me. We're in the book of Psalms this morning, Psalm 111, the book of Psalms, plural, but it's Psalm, the individual Psalm 111 that we want to examine this morning. And as you're turning there, just got a quick question, just an idea. I want to see how many students, where are our students this morning? School started back. How many students are here? Any students in in the worship this morning, I see a few hands. There, I'm not. Now listen, that's right, college students. Thank you. They count too. And, uh, and I'm, now, don't worry. I'm not going to call on you like as you raise your hand in class and the teacher calls on you. You wouldn't want that, right? Uh, I'm not going to do that. But I'm really ashamed of some of you. I mean, everyone should have raised their hand. I mean, unless you've learned everything. Amen. Have you? None of us have learned everything. We're all students in life. All of us, it doesn't matter if you've already graduated with your degree. I mean, yes, we go through grade school, we go to college, we go to technical school or trade school. We're learning, taking courses of study. But hey, even when you graduate there and you go and get your job, they have this thing called continuing ed. You ever been there? Right? I mean, why? Because there's new things that are coming out. You've got to learn about new equipment, new procedures, new policies. And, and so you go through that. And, and that's just for your vocation. I mean, you go to school all those years and study all those classes and get that education so you're ready to go, right? And then you get out there and you're learning and you think, oh, I'm done with school. No, you're not. In fact, what's fascinating is we're all studying things that we like. We're all learning about material subjects that we are interested in. Take the deer hunter, for example. I mean, he studies where he hunts. He studies how the deer mark their territory. He studies the routes that they take. He studies whether he needs to plant corn or acorns or, or whether he needs to put out uh, uh, apples for the deer or clover. He studies, listen, because he wants to put that deer stand in the right place so he can get the big buck. Listen, ladies, don't you shake your head. Yeah, that's you, honey, hubby. No, no, no. We know, ladies, we know you study too how to shop, Right? I don't mean that in a negative way. You're prudent with your funds. You want to find the best deals. You want to find the sales. And I don't just mean on clothing and things like that. My bride, she studied the grocery, right? Do you know there's certain days at certain times that the grocer marks down all the meat 50% off and puts it out there? It's good to know what time that is. Amen. I wish they do that with the eggs, right? Uh, and know when that is. We're all students. We're all studying things. We're all learning. Hopefully, you've never lost, you haven't lost that appetite to learn. I mean, it's one of the lessons of life that we're learning is we're always learning. We haven't arrived yet. And, and let's be honest. Listen, did you know that if you read 12 books on any one particular subject, whether it's a course in history, uh, whether it's about cooking, whether it's about fishing, uh, metallurgy, whatever you like, if you, if you read the 12 best books on that subject matter, there's someone who said that, you know what, you can become a master expert on that information related to that subject. And yet what's amazing is the subject I want to talk about today is more exhilarating, more stimulating, more exciting, more fulfilling, and more essential than any of those subjects you might read 12 books on. And here's the amazing thing. With this subject, you'll never master it. You know Why? Because we're talking about the study of God, the infinite God, the incomprehensible God, the God that is beyond us fully knowing Him. And yet He reveals enough about Himself that once you've experienced that knowledge and you've come to know Him, you just want to know more. 
It's like Peter wrote, you know, in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said that uh, after the section we read last week. That, you know what, to your faith, to my faith, we're adding knowledge. We're growing in our understanding of Him. Because we've come to be, someone introduced us to, to the great and mighty God. The God who created all things. The, the great and mighty God who brought redemption to mankind. And, and what we've learned is, is He's an infinite God. And we haven't fully comprehended Him and understood Him. And so our faith is seeking understanding. Our faith is hungering to know more. At least mine is. Yours should be too. And because of that, we should be students of God. Studying Him. Now listen, I know this. Being a teacher, a little bit in a seminary, do you know students have excuses why they don't study? Well, you know, I would have, I'm just not a good student, Pastor Chris. I, I need a tutor. I don't know how to study. Here's the amazing thing. In the study of God, God gives you a tutor called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Pretty amazing. He comes alongside us and he encourages us in the truth. He he. He inspired this book which records information about God and tells us about God. In fact, as the revelation of God himself. And he who inspired it illumines our mind to understand what he inspired individuals to write. So you can't make that excuse, I wish I had a tutor. He's given us one, the Holy Spirit. God himself. Some people will say, you know what, I've already taken that class. I've taken that course. I really don't need to study that one. I've already got that figured out. Here's the amazing thing. You can never plumb the depths of this God. Even in your study, you say, well, I've read it. But you know what? You and I come back, and it's amazing. He unfolds and he reveals more and more of who he is and about himself to us. And, and you know what? We're never fully arrived. We, we, we have this instructor who guides us and teaches us, but now he's always going to teach us something new. If you have a teachable spirit, if I have a teachable heart, if I'm, I'm open to him showing me something amazing and new. And I know some of you have this excuse. My dog ate my homework, right? Uh, I'm sorry. I, I had a dog like that in Charlotte before we moved here. A tree walker coon hound. Everybody in Charlotte needs a tree walker coon hound. Her name was Dixie. I'm serious. You can ask my boys. I was on the back porch with Dixie one day reading my Bible, studying. And uh, preparing for Sunday and down to Charlotte. And I stepped inside to help my boys fix a broken DVD player. And when I came out, Dixie ate my Bible. Man, she tore Psalms and Proverbs out. She sunk her teeth into Torah. And she just ripped my Bible to shreds. And I said, oh, Dixie, you ain't going to last, honey. She ate my study. All my notes that I had in my preach. I still have the Bible. I grabbed everything I could that she didn't tear apart because I love my notes in my study of God. Because I, I, I mark up my Bible and I write these things out and, and then I get a Bible, the same kind of Bible that I have right now so that I can just transfer the notes and get a new one as it gets worn out. And, and that's just, it's not an excuse though that my dog, because here's the amazing thing about this book. Do you know what? No one will ever destroy it. The testimony that's written here about the work of God and God himself, nothing will ever destroy this. This, this will stand the test of time. It is a, a record forever and ever. It's an eternal word that has been spoken, that has been revealed. And so when we come to this, we can't make excuses because we really don't have any. Really, the excuses that we make are just a reflection of our heart and a heart that isn't wanting to study and to learn. Hopefully it's not those in the book of Proverbs who scoff 
who despise what God has to say because they know better. They buzz God. That's the Hebrew word for despise. They, ah, pfft, I know that already. Ah, pfft, he can't tell me anything. Ah, pfft, he can't teach me anything new. Now that, that, that heart will never learn from God. And yet God wants to teach us about himself. He wants to, to reveal things about himself to you and to me. You and I have got so many things. We're going to have a whole eternity before us to learn about an infinite God. You and I can't even fathom what we're going to discover when we get over on the other side. But right now, there should be an appetite within you and within me. A hunger to study and to know more about God. And I need to know him because see, here's the amazing thing. How he has acted in the past is a good insight, an indicator of how he will act in the present and in the future. You know why? Well, he's immutable. We haven't learned that attribute of God. We will in a, in a couple months, but we'll get to the immutability of God. What does that mean? That's a big word. It means he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And because you see, how he acts, what he does, is a reflection of who he is. When I study how he has acted, the things that he has done, it, in, it, in, in, it educates my mind. It informs my mind. It helps me to have a better understanding of how he relates to me and I should relate to him. And how I should then live. And so I should have a, a hunger to examine and to study and to analyze and, and, and to realize God wants to show me who he is. Now, we're going to stand in a moment. We're going to read this psalm. We're going to read the first few verses so we can get into it because it's a song that teaches us about studying God, the, incred the incredible importance of it and, 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 and the response that your heart and my heart should have as we do study him. And that's what we're going to be doing every Sunday morning all throughout. You know, today is the second week, and we're pulling out week number two of our memory verses. And, and this week, that verse that we read earlier, we're going to be memorizing this week and examining and just contemplating and thinking about, listen, uh, those, who, who, those who study God's works, um, they revere Him. They, they think about Him. They meditate on Him. They, they think about it. They research Him because He's a great and mighty God, and you and I haven't figured Him out yet, neither have I. But he wants you to know more about him. He wants us to surrender to him because of who he is. So I want you to stand with me in honor of the word of the Lord. Students learning about our study of God. How do we study him? What has he revealed about himself? Now this is the Hallel Psalms. The Hallelujah Songs. The songs that are written that say praise the Lord. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His worth is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He's made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. And that's why we're here, God, because you've been gracious to us. God, you've done a good work in our life. Lord, you, you helped us to realize we needed you. We couldn't save ourselves. We needed a Savior named Jesus. God, you showed us compassion. You had mercy on us. We praise you for that. God, we take pleasure in what you've done. We're gathered with others who take pleasure in what you've done. And Lord, we want to learn more about you. So give us a teachable spirit right now. Whether in this sanctuary or watching online or Listening on the radio. Give us a teachable spirit. 
that wants to study to know more. Because it's as we see you and know you for who you are, that we truly know who we are. It's in your light that you reveal, you expose, and you transform us. So please do that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. What kind of student should we be? How do we study God? Now again, you know, if we're going to study any material, any particular subject, usually you have some stuff to work with, right? I mean, if you're a geologist and you're studying rocks and you usually have a sample of rocks to examine. If you're a doctor and you're studying medicine, you have a, usually have a cadaver, you have a body, right? And you examine how it functions and sometimes you have live ones that you examine and then you look and you examine those things. But we're talking about studying God. What have we got? I mean, God is spirit. He's invisible. How do we study Him? Well, amazing thing, God allows us to study and learn more about Him through the things that he has done, his works. His works are a testimony, a reflection. They tell us who he is and what he is like. Whatever, if he does a good work, then you can assume about him what? You can, can, you can deduce he's a good God. If he does show grace to you and to me, he is a gracious God. If he has shown us done something merciful and compassionate to us, then his essence is being merciful and compassionate. And so his works are what speak and testify of the nature of who he is and what he is like. And the amazing thing is we'll study going down through this psalm is that the word that we have before us is a faithful representation and testimony. In fact, it's his commentary that he has inspired about the work that he has done. And your responsibility and my responsibility is given that those works, we examine them. We study them. We, we research God's work. In fact, everyone who has pleasure in them. Are you grateful God saved you today? Have you studied what it means to be saved? Really examine the significance of it, the implications of that for every day of your life. I mean, it affects how you parent. It affects how you relate to your spouse. It affects how you treat others around you, like your boss you're going to see tomorrow or your co-worker. I mean, our faith isn't something that's compartmentalized and just reserved for Sunday morning for an hour. It impacts our life each and every day. And so we want to research and understand who God is and what he has done. And as we research it, an amazing thing, over and over again in this chapter of Psalms, this song, it's going to say God's works, the works of his hands, the wonderful works that he has done, the gracious acts that he has done. All types of work, God's at work. But they're all different types of work. In fact, some have to do maybe with his creation, you know, with his hands. He created this wonderful world that we live in. Some of his works are wonderful works. What does he mean by wonderful works? Well, when you find that in the Old Testament, that's always an allusion to redemption. Oftentimes, the things that God has done to deliver his people when they were in danger or were in bondage. His gracious, compassionate acts, the different things that God has done, and His faithfulness to the covenant, the things that He has promised. And as you research these things, we examine them, we study them. For example, the created order. Do you realize this? That a lot of the great scientists who have discovered things have been Christians. 
And what they did is they had the charter from God to study his works. And they began examining his creation that he has made. And they're the ones who discovered how the planets move. How, how, they, how they rotate. They, they're the ones who discovered the laws of nature. How it functions and how it governs. And, and how God makes all things work together. They're the ones who look through the microscopes. They're the ones who look through the telescopes. And, 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 and in their mind, they know there's a great designer. There's a great and mighty God who made these things. And he made it for good, if you've never read Genesis chapter 1, right? I mean, every day, everything that he made was good. Well, how do they bring forth the good from it? How does a scientist who's motivated by what God has made and is examining it and studying it, well, what good is he put into some of these uh, plants that are out there in the botanical world that, that we can take from those plants and find medicinal purposes for those plants? I mean, wouldn't that be good? They research it. They examine it. And not just the created order, the wonderful works that he has made and done. I mean, he created all things. And then because this creation is fallen... Mankind has fallen. Mankind is in need of redemption. And he demonstrates his power to redeem through this particular nation called Israel as he created that nation from among many, choosing them and selecting Father Abraham to be the, the patriarch to start out those who would be his chosen people. But, but he did that to be a blessing, to bring redemption to all mankind. And, and we can study history, the history of what God has done in, with all the nations and with one nation in particular to find out and discover how he has, has, has brought a great work. We're researching these things. We're examining these things. The links to which he'll go to bring redemption to mankind. These are his gracious works. How God works in gracious ways to sustain this created order, to care for his people, to provide for them. And all of this is like, like a, a jewel, a diamond that you and I find, a precious stone. And you bring it up out of the dirt and you wash it off and you cleanse it and you begin to just turn it. Look at what God's done. Wow, look at it. Let's examine it this way. Let's think about it this way. Well, I wonder why he did it this way. And you research it. And you ask hard questions. You know what we should be? Like children doing that. You know, children have inquisitive minds, don't they? Particularly little ones. Because there are all types of subject material is coming to their eyes and, and, and it's coming before them and they're wondering, well, I wonder why that is. Have you ever had that question? When they, you, you, they ask you a question about something and they say, why? And you look at them and you give them an answer and they say, why? And then you answer that and they say, Why? That's the one question you can never answer, right? Why? You can answer what, when, where, how, why. It's like that in life sometimes. Why, God? Why? And yet the finite mind that we have trying to understand an infinite God, his purposes and his plans, he's doing works that we don't always understand why. But here's the thing. They, the, the works that he has we, uh, revealed, the things that have been understood about him, reveal something about his essence and his nature that we can trust him. Even when we say, why? Why? Why that, Lord? Those who've been blessed those who have pleasure in what God has done want to know more. They want to research it. Not only that, look at verse 3, what he says here. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. In other words, we don't just research what God has done. 
we also regard what God has done. Now, when we say this, this isn't like, oh, check it out. Look what God has done. Pretty neat. Next thing. That's not what he's saying. We regard God's work in the sense that we recognize that his work is honorable. It is to be Um, It is glorious and his righteousness endures forever. When something is honorable, it is raised up for the attention of people to see something meritorious, something uh, exemplary about it. I mean, if we have students who study hard, they may uh, get honorable mention, right? For some action, something that they've done. And in that sense, we honor them. It's like the, the medal of honor that soldiers can receive. It's the highest medal that a soldier can receive, established in the American Civil War. And it's given to those soldiers who have distinguished themselves at risk of their own lives. And, and they put others in the platoon or st- in the call of duty uh, in, in, in action against an enemy before themselves. And oftentimes, it's only those who have passed away and died posthumously. It's, it's awarded to them because it's a recognition they did something very honorable. Well, stop and think about the work of God. What's more honorable than a God who stepped down from his throne in heaven, put on flesh, walked among men as a man, lived the perfect life, took the form of a servant so that he could go to a cross and die for us to purchase our redemption, to deliver us from the bondage of sin, and to set us free, defeating our enemies, sin, Satan, and death, and give us a living hope. What's more honorable than that? Nothing. And yet that's what God has done for us. His works are honorable. They're to be lifted up, to be regarded as being exemplary of great uh, value, elevated above others. They're glorious. I mean, they testify, they radiate, they're done with splendor. They're a testimony of a great and powerful God whose name is above all names. And and there's no God greater to him. And when he does something, he does it with some pow, right? I mean, a little shepherd with a stone and a sling. I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. Whack. Down comes the giant. Glorious. Amazing. Wow, look at what God did through David in his faith. Amen. Our God. Hey, listen. Who opens up a Red Sea so that... Uh, His people, two plus million, three million, can walk through on dry ground. And then when the armies of Pharaoh go through, he brings the waters back on them and drowns them. Glorious God. In fact, when Moses got on the other side, they sang a song. You can read about it in Exodus 15. His lyrics that he wrote there, celebrating an, an awesome God, a glorious God, a majestic God. There is none like him. One who is worthy of our honor and our praise. And see, all of the works that he's doing, they're all righteous. They're all done with righteousness. They're all done in the right way, for the right reason, with the right purpose, in the right manner. And it's God who is a righteous God who does these things. In fact, when you read in the, and particularly in the in the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, and you see the works of God. His, his, his reign over his people is a righteous reign. And the way he does things are always right. And his great acts of redemption are to bring righteousness to his people because they don't possess it. We should regard what God has done. You and I should have a high regard for this testimony right here of what God has done. And we should greatly value the record that is given to us of God's work. 
And yet this isn't just a past history book. This book is alive. This book is living. This book is active. And the God who did those things is still doing those things and wants to do those things. In fact, we should remember God's work is what he says in verse 4. In fact, if you go from verse 4 down through verse 9, uh, there's a bookend in verse 5 and 9 called the covenant. It's kind of like everything that God is doing, all of his works, are because of his faithfulness to what he has created. Amazing. What a God we serve. Study about him and knowing he is true to his word. Knowing he is faithful to what he has promised. Knowing he is true to do it in the right manner. And he's done all of these things. But we stop and we remember God's work specifically. It says there, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. In fact, he's not just done it in such a way for it to be remembered. He's also commanded it to be remembered. You realize God has given us one day of the week that we're supposed to take a break from the toil of life so that we can stop and we can reflect on him and his work. Not just that he has done the work he is doing. The work that he's going to do. And talk to him about it. In fact, we, he told his people in Leviticus chapter 23. He said, listen, I've got some feasts and some festivals that I want you to observe. In order that you might stop and pause and consider and reflect on not only what I have done. But what I'm able to do. To trust me more. We're to remember those things. And they're done in a way that when we reflect and we remember. They cause us to cry out and say, God, give me more understanding. Teach me more. What, what is it that you were doing? We have a responsibility to the next generation to tell them, to show them. As we celebrate what God has done, as we study what God has done, as we reflect on it, so that we might inspire them to have faith. Because we recognize it's honorable. We have high regard for it. It's an amazing thing what my God has done. And I want to testify of it to my family and to the next generation. And so that should be our heartbeat as adults in the room this morning for the next generation of faith. In fact, what's fascinating is when you stop and you consider these works right here, these wonderful works to be remembered. What are these wonderful works to be remembered? These are the works of redemption. These are the works that he has done to bring redemption to his people. What what are those? Well, we know that in those he is gracious and full of compassion. Whenever God does a work of redemption, it's always because of his grace. Amen. It's always because he's shown mercy. He's had compassion on us. And I'm grateful, listen, I study the way God has done these things because it tells me who he is and what he's like. He's a gracious, compassionate God. He has given food to those who fear him. He will be ever mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. You see, what he's pointing back to is Torah. He's pointing back to the testimony of when God's people were in bondage and they cried out and they said, we're in bondage. We need a deliverer. Please send one. And he did send a deliverer, Moses. And Moses was his appointed agent to to come and bring the word to Pharaoh. Hey, let my people go and by the way if you don't I'm going to show you just how powerful I am and plague after plague after plague after plague after plague God showed the power of his works what he was able to do to get the attention not only of his people but of Pharaoh and all the Egyptians as well and when Pharaoh finally said get out of here and go and God delivered his people brought them only not only out into the wilderness but through the Red Sea and there destroyed Pharaoh's army he brought them out into the wilderness and there he just let them sit right no he fed them He cared for them. He provided for them. Uh, Manna every morning, like raisin cakes, right? Mm. You're hungry now, aren't you? Yeah. 
He provided for them, cared for them. That's the nature of our God. The God who promises himself and promises. Oh, by the way, he made a promise to Abraham. Hey, listen, Abraham, my people are going to go down there. Your seed are going to go down there. But until the sin of the Amorites complete, I will bring them back. And he kept his word. And he brought them back. And he cared for them like sheep in, the, in, in a pasture. Out sheep in the wilderness to provide for them. But then he brought them in. He gave them the heritage of the nations. He brought his people. Hey, he promised them a promised land. He promised that to Abraham, seed and soil. And I'm going to bless you. And, and my seed, your seed is going to dwell there in that soil on that promised land. And just as he said he was going to do, he did. He brought them into the heritage of the nations. And the sin of the Amorite was complete. And he brought them in and he divided that land and gave it to his people. We read about it in Joshua particularly. And what's fascinating is when you look there in Exodus, when you look there in Joshua, you see a God that has delivered his people and brought them into the promised land. And you say, well, that's great for the Jew, Pastor Chris. And I know they celebrated every Passover. And it's an amazing thing to remember. But what about you and what about me? Yeah, what about us? Anybody ever been in bondage? Anybody ever been in bondage? Hey, listen, anybody ever been in bondage and cried out for a deliverer? Hey, anybody ever been set free from the bondage of your sin? Anybody ever been set free so that you can go and live a new life and, and be on a journey to a promised land where God will be faithful to bring us into? Amen. And the way God deals with his people there instructs us and guides us. Paul would say that, by the way, to the Corinthians, listen, that those things that are written there are not just a record for them. They're a testimony to us of how we should live in light of who he is and what kind of God he's like. And so we should study these things. We should reflect on them. We should remember them. In fact, it's fascinating when you look over there in Exodus and you look at the celebration of the Passover meal as it's recorded in Leviticus that they're supposed to do. If you've ever celebrated the Passover meal with the Jewish family, we have the fuller understanding of it because the Passover lamb has come. Amen? What's amazing is if you gather with a Jewish family to celebrate Passover, the youngest person in the room is supposed to ask this question. Why did this lamb have to die? What are these bitter herbs about? Why is the, the bread flat? Why is there no leaven in it? And all those things point back to not just the Passover meal, but it is a reminder that a lamb had to die. But it testifies of one that would come and has come. Amen. And the bitter herbs, the, the oppression that we were experiencing, the reflection of the bondage of sin, the things that we used to have, our self-destructive lifestyles, the things that God came to deliver us from, sin in our life, that no longer has to reign and rule, man. We've been set free from that bondage, praise God. And, and the hope that we have, yeah, there's leaven because, man, we had to put that bread in the bucket and, and get out really fast because he, when he said go, God meant go. And we went, and even out there, he gave us manna. Manna in the wilderness. And yet, even when they conquered the lands, do you realize what happened? Have you read Joshua and what Joshua did when he led the, the nation into the promised land God had for them? When he split the waters once again in the Jordan River, you remember? And, and he stopped the waters all the way at Adam up there. And, and, and they walked through on dry ground. They went, they just had to trust God. I mean, it's not every day you walk forward to a river and say, I'm just going to walk through on dry ground. And it just, whoo, the water's gone. Following the ark as it went before him. Do you remember what he told him? Hey, listen, uh, when you walk through, have uh, one represented from every tribe pick up a stone. When you get on the other side, I want you to build a great big monument. Because in generations to come, I want you to remember this. Because you see, the kids are going to come and they're going to go, why? why? Why the rocks? Why? Why? What's, what's that for? 
And they point up to a great and mighty God who does great and mighty things and keeps his word and delivers his people and brings them into the promised land. Why? Yeah, we remember. We remember who he is and what he's like. And it's that which informs my life the way I live today. It informs you and how you're to live today in light of who he is. And my responsibility is to be able to help the kids sometime. Here's why. Let's remember. You see, the idea of remember here isn't just, well, let's bring back back to memory. Why was that? Actually, in the context, when you use this word over and over, you'll find it has the idea of proclamation, of testimony. Yes, I ponder. Yes, I think about. Yes, I meditate on the nature of God's redemption. But I've got something to share. I've got something to proclaim. I've got something to testify about. I've got something to relate to others because they're in bondage and they need deliverance. And there's only one God who's provided it. So we remember it. We cherish it. We regard it high and we want to learn more about it. And that's not it. We also read of it. You see, God's work has a record of it. The works of his hand, verse 7, are verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. You see what he did there? He moved from the works of his hands to what he's written. They, they, they stand, what stands those precepts? They stand fast and forever and are done in truth and uprightness. Well, what did he say? The works of his hands, verse 7, are verity, truth, and justice. Look down here. Uh, they stand fast and forever, verse 8. The, the word are done in truth and uprightness. The root of just, what is right. You see, the word that I read about is the record of what God has done. And just as the works were true and right, so too the word is sure. It is true and right. And so I can take this testimony of what God has done, the precepts that are written here, and I can examine them and study them and learn from them and learn that this word is not just a history book. This word is a book that is alive and is a, something that God wants to teach me and instruct me and renew my mind. And, and as I learn about who he is and what he's like, as he's related to other people of faith and even those who didn't re- receive him but rejected him, I can learn from them too, and I need to. The wise man learns from, from the fool and other wise men. The fool learns from no one because he knows better than God and scoffs and doesn't want to listen. But my heart, your heart should be open. Oh, I want to read. I want to learn. These are, these are true principles. These are right principles. These are, this word will last forever. These precepts that he gives me, the way I should live and how I should live in light of who he is. A true God has spoken truth to us and, and he is faithful. And, and, and this account that we have as we read about it just tells us that he is a faithful God, faithful to his covenant. He has sent redemption to his people and he has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is he. His name, who he is and what he's like. I read of him and there is no God like our God. You and I should live like that because we've come to know him. And the more we study of him, we should recognize, look, he is holy. Now that isn't just he's pure. The sense of holy is he is set apart. There is none like him. By the way, he's God, we're not. There's an infinite gulf between us that only he can bridge through Christ and bring us to him. He is set apart. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Was and is and is to come. 
I mean, even there, the angels are proclaiming how God is set apart in His power. He's the Almighty. In His eternality, He's the one that has no beginning and no end. Unlike all other things who either have a beginning or have an end or have both. Not Him. And when we read about that, there should be a recognition. Man, what an awesome God we serve. Look at his name, his essence. He's been talking about his works, his works, his gracious works, his wonderful works, his works of his hands, all of his works, his precepts that are now records of his work. And all of this thing tells us holy and awesome is his work. No, holy and awesome is his name, his essence. How do you study God? You get in and examine his work. You see what he's done. And the amazing thing about our God, he's still at work. He's still at work. Is he working in your life? He should be. You and I should be able to recognize and see the hand of God in our lives at work. Your life, my life should be a testimony that there's a holy God that we worship, that we serve, that we love. And that has saved us from our sin. There's an awesome God who does awesome things. This isn't like, you know, in the, back in the 80s and 90s, Tony Holdam. I mean, we used to, you know, these guys, they surfer dudes, like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. Right? No, 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 you should reserve that word for what God does. Because what God does causes us to stand in awe. Wow. Awe. Now listen, if you don't stand in awe of him, then it's going to be awful for you. Right? Look at what it says, our response now. How do you respond to this truth that we've discovered about what God has done? Holy and awesome is his name. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. You see, if I really know who God is, and I've learned who He is by examining His work and studying the record of His work, His word, the record that He has given, the reflection, the revelation, the actual revelation of His essence to us, His holiness, His awesomeness, when I, re- when I read that, my response should be threefold. First, I should revere Him. I should stand in awe of Him. I should fear Him. It's the beginning of wisdom. You want to learn, this is the first step. This is the first lesson you learn. Go read Proverbs chapter 1, right? What's the first lesson that you teach your kids? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise knowledge. Fools despise listening. You've got to have the right heart to be a good student in God's classroom. To learn from Him. And it's got to be a heart that says, you're God and I'm not. The second lesson is the primary teacher for the student For a child is his parents, God's authority in their life. And so hear, heed, and hold on to what mom and dad say. And then the next lesson is you live in a fallen world, and people are going to entice you to go with them and run away from what God says. Come on, join us, join us, join us, join us. Let us throw a lot in together and take up, pick up your legs and run away from them. Those are the principal lessons you've got to learn in Proverbs chapter 1. When you learn who God is and what he's like, the first step is he's God and I'm not. I revere him, I reverence him. This isn't like, oh, I'm afraid of him. That's what sinners do who don't want to repent do. They run from God to the trees to hide. But God's invitation is, no, I'm gracious, I'm compassionate. I've provided for you a sacrifice. Run to me, don't run from me. And so we do. And that's the beginning of learning. The beginning of wisdom. Because I have a heart that wants to hear what God has to say. But it doesn't stop there. The next step is, if I have good understanding, well, who has good understanding? Well, those who do his commandments. 
In other words, when God instructs you, when God instructs me and teaches me something, my responsibility is to do something with it. It's to change my life. It's to change the way I live. I obey that truth that he has given to me. Why should God give me anything new if I won't obey what he's already taught me? If I won't put it into practice. Hey, stop and think for a minute. Anybody, math scholars here, I have an electrical engineering degree, so I had to do a lot of math. Do you know what? When I started going to school and learning about mathematics, they didn't just throw me right into calculus. Praise God. It would have been difficult. You know what I started with? Addition. Subtraction. Moved up to multiplication and fractions. Some division, long division. Oh, boy. Yeah. And, and, and then it progressed, right? And you move up to, you know, algebra, geometry, trigonometry, and everybody's going, right? And then some calculus, pre-calculus, calculus. calculus. woo Fun stuff, right? You start with the basics, and you learn those principles, and then you build on them, and you learn. It's the same way. God teaches you something. God reveals something about himself. You're just, what your responsibility, my responsibility is to put that into practice. Let that truth transform me. And then what happens is he illumines our mind to understand more. He gives us greater understanding because you know what? I'm doing something with what he's already given me. And I'm obeying it. And a good understanding are those who put into practice the principles of what he has taught us about himself. But you don't stop there. I mean, you revere him, you stand in awe, you, you obey him, and then it concludes with this, you praise him. Man, his praise endures forever. Forever. I mean, we've been exalted, encouraged, commanded to praise. Praise the Lord, exclamation point, it says in verse 1. I'm going to praise him in the house of the Lord with my whole heart, with all those who've been, uh, all the others like me who've been impacted by his work. And it just makes sense if I'm learning more about him, studying more about him, you know what I'm going to do? Raise the roof. We're going to shout a little bit louder. Because there's no God like our God. Church, we have lost this vision of who God is and what he's like to our culture. And we're ashamed to talk about him and what we've learned about him to them, and we shouldn't be. We have the truth. And there's no God like him. He's the only God. He's the only God who can bring redemption. And that our lives would be transformed by this truth so that we would proclaim it and not betray another generation. There's a famine for hearing the word of the Lord in our land, as Isaiah would say. And you want to see what a nation looks like that turns its back on God. America, look in the mirror of Isaiah 1 through 6. Even there, the prophet had to say, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We're not better than them. We're as desperate as they are for him. But we don't live like that. And yet we should. When we really reverence who he is and what he's like. And you know, that's the invitation this morning. It's really simple. God, God has done a great work in my life. Or he, if he hasn't, he wants to. Will you let him? Will you surrender to him? Will you yield to him? We say, here, Lord, take my life. There's no God like you. I, I want to know you. And I want to know more about your grace, your mercy, your compassion. I want to know you. You're what I'm after. Not what you give me. Your greatest gift is yourself. And I just want to know more. Help my faith. Maybe today you need to place your faith and trust in him. Cry out to Jesus to save you from your sins. He can do that and transform your life. Maybe you've done that. You're identified Jesus as the head of your life. But you know what? You've not joined a local body of believers. You make every excuse not to do it, but you won't come. But the truth is that you know what? 
There's a body of believers that we gather with, that we serve with, that God has blessed us with gifts and abilities to be a blessing to them, to minister to them, and they minister to us. And as a collective body, we encourage one another and we remind one another of the great and mighty God that we serve and, and the things that he's called us to do to make his name known out here in the community around us and, and to testify faithfully to the next generation that there's no God like our God, the unchanging God who will always be there. Maybe you just need to come today and plant your life at South River Baptist Church. Maybe, you know what? You've been too busy to study God. Make enough excuses, you know. If you stay busy enough, then you don't really have to get in the books, right? Because I'm so busy. I'm so busy. That's the plagues America's churches today, too. We're so busy, we don't have time to stop and contemplate the great things of God. And maybe we just need to get on the altar and say, God, forgive me. I've been busy about all the wrong things. I've been studying all the wrong things. I haven't taken time really to know you, who you are, and what you're like. What did we read? He's gracious. Compassionate. Why wouldn't we run right to him? Say, Lord, I need you. Because that grace and compassion is available. Do you want it today? You can experience it. You have to take a step of faith.